Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Welcome to Exploring Missions, connecting mission needs with those equipped by God to meet those needs across the world or across town. And now the host of Exploring Missions, Bert Harper. I hope you're having a great day today and we pray that the Lord has blessed you and we're praying that God would use you in a significant way. That's one of the purposes of Exploring Missions, that people understand regardless of their gifts, their talents, their abilities, their experiences, God can use them once they've come to Jesus Christ as Savior. So we pray that you will be challenged and blessed today. Our guest today on Exploring Missions is Bob Bakke from Hillside, Minnesota. Hillside Church. Hillside Church. In Bloomington, Minnesota. In Bloomington, Minnesota. Okay, that's great. I did. I got the bad information. I wondered. I wondered what Hillside, Minnesota, looked like. Okay, I'm not sure there is one. But. Yeah, but it's Hillside Church. That's right. Well, Pastor, it's good to have you with us today. And this is a real delight. Thanks. We're here at at the Billy Graham Training Center, which is an awesome place, and uh, at the Cove, and we're here with Heart Cry for uh, a revival here in America, but also around the world. And this conference this year is called Fusion, meeting together, putting together, trying to, we're really trying to know, we know God's operating, mm. so we're trying to catch up with God. You know, we, we ask God to bless what we're mm. doing, and God's, God's already at work, isn't he, Bob? He is all over the earth, um, and it, it's a privilege. I, you almost have to catch up with God with regard to Americans going overseas it's amazing what God is doing through nationals, reaching nationals, people uh, reaching their own indigenous populations. Uh, we, our, my church, my, personally, we have uh, these remarkable relationships to strategic cities around the world. Uh, one of them is in the Nandabar district of western Maharashtra, India. Uh, we went in there. Uh, five years ago, uh, we have a, one of the elders of my church is a man named, by the name of Madan Valvi. Uh, it's a story. It's a film that should be made. It's a qu- quite remarkable story. I don't know if any of your listeners have seen the, the movie Lion, uh, but it's out. It's with regard to a, a boy in India who has been stolen, who is lost from his parents, but fully, uh, eventually finds his way back to his hometown and his village. Madan's story is very much like that. A little boy uh, born to Dalit untouchable yeah. parents right. um and he was sick as a young boy was his mother carried on 30 kilometers till finally someone would touch him as an untouchable no one would touch me he was dying um and uh, a, a swedish missionary uh was the only one who would touch him and she she cared for him and eventually he was separated from his parents and just a few years ago found out that his mother where his mother was and uh, his mother was dying and he had to get back to her he went back to her um, prayed over her and she was healed uh, and the whole village was stunned by what God had done. Uh, we started off uh, five years ago in the wake of that, that re-encounter with his family and his village uh, just meeting with a couple of pastors and the last time we were there it, we're now meeting with a thousand pastors. Uh, we are now speaking to crowds of 
10, 15, 20,000 uh, 20, at a time. Um, Muslims, uh, Hindus um, coming to Christ. Uh, there is now in the province of Nandubar, again, which is in western Maharashtra, uh, a place where no, no tourists go. They, you just don't go there because there's no, nothing good to see. It's a dry, uh, uh, dreary, uh, very p poverty-stricken place. Uh, it's a Dalit population, untouchable population. But what God is doing there is just stunning. There, there is, at this juncture, in every village of Nandubar, the Nandabar uh, district, a 4 a.m. prayer meeting in each of the villages and every member of every family uh, within that village sends a member of their family to that prayer meeting every morning before the sun rises uh, to bless the what, what God is going to do that day. Uh, it's just a remarkable and and this is just one little section of India. Uh, God is doing things all over India in this way and we're just privileged to be a part of that. When we're hearing what God is doing on the continents Africa, right? Asia, there, right. In, in, like India, uh, even in South America, Latin America, mm. we're amazed, and we're sitting here in America, uh, comfortable, right? And with our, you know, padded pews and mm -hmm. uh, no no potholes in the parking lot, mm -hmm. you know. And we come to church, we come to go. It's like the speaker said last night that Vance Havner said. They start at eleven o'clock sharp and end at twelve o'clock dull. Right, but that's not happen That's not the case in a lot of the places around the world, is it? No, it isn't. And we're also uh, engaged in a place called a uh, place where it's quite surprising with regard to foreign missions, and that is Stockholm, Sweden. Um, Stockholm, Sweden, uh, a decade ago, excuse me, a generation ago, or uh, perhaps a little bit more, sending out missionaries throughout the earth. You go to Stockholm today and you, you ask a Swede on the streets of Stockholm today and they can't tell you who Jesus was. They can't tell you the meaning of the cross. They have no concept of the redemption. That one generation. One generation and it's gone. It's completely gone. And we're, we're part of a church planting operation that is putting 20 churches uh, in the, in the uh, Stockholm County alone and one church in each of the 10 major uh, university cities. One generation, and it's gone. And that's a, that, that should be a warning to, to uh, Christians in America. Sure. Uh, the, our heritage can be, can be gone in a generation. To, here at the Fusion Conference, there's going to be uh, a session concerning what God has done in the past. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of my favorite classes in seminary was studying the Great Awakenings. Mm -hmm. I, I studied under Lewis Drummond. He was a professor right, sure. at Southern oh, yeah. Seminary, and he awakened me mm -hmm. to the awakenings, and I became a, no, not, not a great student, but one who would study those. Two things always occurred. One thing always occurred before, and that was prayer, mm -hmm. and there was one thing that would always occur afterwards, and that's missions. That's right. Those two things are inseparable, aren't they? Well, it's inseparable because when the Spirit of God comes upon us, the fruit of that that spiritual awakening is, in fact, the, the Great Commission. It's the mandate of the Lord. We just can't keep this um, what God has done for us, the grace of Christ, to ourselves. Uh, take you know, the Moravians is the perfect example, yeah. right? Uh, Count von Zinzendorf, his, his 
his disparate group of people from all over Europe gathered together. They couldn't get along together. They started praying together. A great revival takes place amongst them. They begin a prayer meeting that lasts for a hundred years. And, they, and out of this then awakening, this remarkable movement of God's Spirit, they are sending emissaries to the ends of the earth, uh, the, the presage, really, of the modern missionary movement. And if, if you remember the story, it was John Wesley, who had come out of the, uh, the, uh, the Holy Club in his, uh, in his, uh, um, uh, his uh, college studies, his uh, university studies, and he's uh, ordained and going to his first mission field or his first pastorate in Georgia, right? And <laughs> he's not in Georgia. He's here not, I come. That's right. He's not even <laughs> saved. The guy isn't even saved. Yeah. He's going, and it's uh, in that trip, on that trip, on rugged seas, that he believes that the ship is going to be going to go down. He's fearful for his life. He sees a group of Moravians that are heading to the mission field in the New World at, at complete peace, singing the praises of God on deck uh, around the, 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 mast, uh, the, center, the mainsail. Uh, and it, it is this that stuns him and eventually brings him to Christ, uh, which is at another Moravian prayer meeting um, when he gets back to England, uh, running with his tail between his legs from Georgia. Yeah. 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 Right. Uh, who will convert me? <laughs> who will convert me? <laughs> yeah. and, and so the Moravians, uh, that's a perfect example. When God's Spirit comes upon us, we cannot stay where we are with the gospel. It must go to the ends of the earth. It happened in America, too. It's the first great awakening as well. Mm-hmm. The, second great, the second great awakening, which I don't know which one you're the most uh, familiar with. Well, I'm familiar with both, but I'm, I'm really concentrating on the second because I think that is the greatest okay. work of God's Spirit. We're, we're on the same track. You yeah, know, yeah. I, I, I went to the second one real quickly. Oh, did you, you noticed that one, <laughs> Bob, did. in the question. <laughs> the second great awakening right. that took place in frontier area more uh-huh. than the, sea, you know, the coastline. When we hear about that, more so than any others, it was multi-denominational as well. Right. I, I mean, there was there was Baptist, Methodist, even. Yeah. Pres- I said started, even Presbyterians. Yeah. Well, and, it started yeah. among the Presbyterians. Yeah, that's what I, I mean, does. You know, these. Yeah. Uh, I I tell these these Presbyterians, you know, um, they they have been at the heart of some of the greatest movements of God, and yet they haven't received the fruit of because because <laughs> it was the Methodists who could then adapt to the to the great. Uh, influx of of saints and the Baptists after that, uh, so the Baptists and the Methodists took advantage of what the the Presbyterians could not. But these these great movements of united prayer and the great and powerful preaching of the gospel that reaches into the heart of man and changes the heart of man when it touches it, touches those hearts of stone and turns them into hearts of flesh, and then this uh, exuberant remarkable explosion of God's grace, almost like a thermonuclear device going off in the, in the heart of the frontier. Now, it is true that it was manifestly seen and, and uh, measured in the frontier, unlike any other place of the country, but the, right. but the revival was going on up elsewhere. And down, elsewhere, yeah. uh, elsewhere too. And we can see that in all the church stats um, uh, back in that period. But remember, uh, when, it, when it happened, and Cane Ridge, of course, would be the... Uh, ground Zero. First time I ever heard of Cane Ridge, I thought, that really happened then? Yeah, and, and there. <laughs> there. How many people came? Yeah, uh, that's right. To nowhere. To nowhere. Absolutely <laughs> nowhere. But if you, know, if, if you know the story, it was act, Cane Ridge was actually the end of about uh, t- uh, 
18, 20 or so of these events that happened up right through the heart of Kentucky. And each one grew and grew and grew. So there was these catalytic events called the Sacraments of the Lord, which were, again, Presbyterian phenomenon. And as the Lord was pouring out his spirit upon these sacraments, they were three-day affairs. You come on a Friday to prepare your heart um, and to, to worship the Lord. Then on the Saturday, your pastor would examine you uh, with your family in the, you know, present. And he would ask you about how you're, you were teaching your children, how you were going to church. What, uh, and then he would ask the children the catechisms, you know, can they answer the questions, etc. And if you could answer uh, well and you could pass that examination, he would give you a little chit, a little, a little, uh, little token so that you could take communion the next day. But if you couldn't pass, you couldn't take communion. That was the closed communion for That's sure. Right. That's right. <laughs> and so there was great anxiousness. Uh, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe the anxious bench started yeah. from there. I'm not quite sure. Uh, but then, then the following day would be the, the table of the Lord. And, of course, there would be worship and preaching throughout the time. Well, this, these sacraments... Uh, really started in, in uh, out of Campbellslang, Scotland, uh, some 60, 70 years before. That, that was the model. These catalytic events, uh, the Lord began uh, coming in answer to prayer, covenants of prayer that had been going on for years. And then suddenly the Lord began answering them in these sacraments going up through the heart of Kentucky. Until then, Cane Ridge, you know, in 1801 where you know anywhere from 20 to 30,000 right. come from out of nowhere f- from everywhere <laughs> on horseback on foot no, on, no communication no like communication emails no no, no twitter no, no, they facebook, just came. <laughs> no facebook right uh, this uh, th- this was viral in a different way right yeah. word of mouth viral and they came from everywhere and, and the thing would have gone on for weeks i'm sure if they hadn't run out of food and if the sanitation didn't <laughs> didn't right. go bad um, but they couldn't keep the word of God to themselves. And this explosive work of God. Now, I was talking to Mark Knoll at, uh, at Notre Dame uh, University a couple of years ago. Uh, he's, he's, he's quasi-impressed with the first Great Awakening. Not really impressed. But the second Great Awakening, he said, changed the world. He, th- that time changed the world. And it spun out for nearly 50 years. Mm. Wave after wave. Of course, Even fit, the abolitionist movement that's would, right. would begin from abolitionist there. movement. Uh, tens of thousands of colleges and universities, yes. schools, uh, hospitals, uh, and the modern missionary movement. You know, uh, just uh, a few years after uh, Cane Ridge, as this this movement was spreading up throughout the throughout um, in, uh, New England and, and New York, et cetera, there were revo- revivals everywhere. Uh, the revival on the the campus of William College, the Hay- Haystack revival, yes. where were these men, you know, yeah. caught in a rainstorm <laughs> under a haystack, <laughs> covenanting together, and the God, the God's spirit upon them, and then sent them out to the to yeah. the far reaches of the world. Um, so when you have revivals and spiritual awakening, if you're interested in missions and foreign missions, you're interested in revival and spiritual awakening yeah. because when this happens, there's an explosive work of God that that goes out from it. Even the prayer revival, Jeremiah Lanfear, mm-hmm. you can draw the connection from that, and it would it, it ignited and it would look like it would be you know go somewhere else and mm-hmm. it would spark and That's it really right. started from what you said and i had not put that together how it started in kentucky mm-hmm. building its way up mm-hmm. and then it got to cane ridge but then it would continue in you know different ways it'd That's be right. expressed but it was always missional wasn't it? always missional well let me let's go back let's go to the jeremiah lamphere 
1857 revival. Because seven years before that revival, actually about 20 years before that revival, at a place called Park Street Church in, in Boston, right on the, right on the, the uh, north end of the, the Boston Commons, which is a great big public park in Boston, this church was born out of a concert of prayer uh, in about 1800, 1801, right around the same, you know, same time as the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening. But they started a prayer meeting in their own church that lasted for three years, three and a half years, and they took minutes of this prayer meeting. It's in the Congressional, uh, uh, Congregational Library in Boston. And they marked the increase in baptisms, the increase in attendance, and so on, in evangelical churches throughout Boston. And they watched, as they prayed, these numbers grow. It, it, just remarkable. But after three and a half years, somehow the prayer meeting died. Um, then, several years later, some members of that prayer meeting said, you know, we've got we to do this again. But, you know, when we did it amongst ourselves in our own church, we could only sustain it for a little bit. So let's move it to a neutral location. And so they moved it to South, South Street Church. And they began inviting everybody from across Boston. And in the morning, as they would come, uh, come to work, every morning they would then pray uh, six days a week. And on Saturdays they would pray for the, uh, for, the Jew, for the Jews. But missionaries would find out about this prayer meeting and they would come from all over the world as they came back to the States. And they would want to go to this meeting because they knew the power of the praying. Now, uh, a guy by the name... Uh, a, a member of, uh, of uh, Charles Finney's uh, inner, inner circle was visiting Boston in, in the spring of 1857 okay. and went to one of these, these prayer meetings. Okay. And he said, this was so powerful, I've got to bring it back to New York. He comes back to New York, and suddenly in the spring of 1857, these prayer meetings begin breaking, up, breaking out in New York. And Jeremiah Lamphere, who was associated with right. Finney's work, yes. said, uh, begins one in Wall Street. So even, bef- even Jeremiah Lamphere's work, there's a pre-work there, isn't there? Always. And, and it's a missional pre-work, isn't there? And so when this breaks out, it breaks out and it goes global. And it happens, of course, when the Bank of Philadelphia crashes in the, in the fall of that year, and then when the stock market crashes the following year, and revival is everywhere, and the mission, mission of the Lord spreads. And we say, Lord, do it again. Lord, do it again, even if it takes an economic collapse, right? Praise the Lord. Bob, thank you for being with us today. So great to be with you. And I pray that God would do it again. Do it again. God has done great things in the past. God is doing great things today, and sometimes we don't see them, and we know God's going to do great things in the future. But we are wanting and desiring for God to use us, and that's what Exploring Missions is all about. When you hear the introduction, you hear that missions, whether it's around the world or across the street, anytime you're sharing Uh, you're bringing about something that God is going to use for good. The disciples was wanting to be used of God. Jesus had called them out, and they were following him. And he spent much of his time teaching them to pray, not only how to, but when. Uh, He would go into the, he would send them out into the Sea of Galilee, and he would go up on a hill and pray. And so he taught them, he demonstrated that to them. And so they've come to him in Matthew chapter 6, and they really say, Lord, would you teach us to pray? 
and uh, not pray like the hypocrites did so everybody could be seen, but really pray and seek Lord. Nathan, when we talk about God doing something significant, there's one thing that I can guarantee you. In the past, God has not done anything significant in the church without prayer preceding it. That's, That's important, isn't it? It is important. It's um, it's the vital starting point. You know, um, you can't you can't start anywhere else and get the same results. It's it's got to be through prayer. Uh, Jesus said to those disciples, "Do not use vain repetition." Uh, repetition. Uh, I always wondered what that meant. I was wondering some people I'd hear them pray publicly, and they'd use the phrase over and over again, same phrase, and that was repetitious. But vain repetition means empty. And what a lot of the hip, uh, the hypocrites, the Pharisees, those that was Jesus' day, they thought that their lo- length of time and the words that they say and the eloquence of how they said it and was was getting through to God. Uh, God's not necessarily looking at the words, is he? I know he taught them by using words, but he says God always looks on the heart. So God's looking, is he looking past the words? I think the words, if if our words are connected with our hearts, if if our heart is engaged, and by heart I mean a surrendered will, uh, you know, your spirit, but it even might, it should actually include uh, your soul, your emotions, um, your mind, all of those things as a whole person that God created us. Um, if those are engaged as we pray, our words will um, will matter. Because Jesus says you have not because you ask not. That's right. So the words are important. But it's not a, Jesus doesn't give us a formula that we have to go through like we're checking boxes. Oh, I skipped this point. Let me go back up to this, you know, point number two or whatever. It's not so much that. That's not if if we're approaching prayer in that kind of a kind of a way, we're really missing that that heart of it. Because yeah. um, there, you know, there's times that Paul uh, he would say, you know, words. Sometimes you don't have the words to express what's in you, and so the Holy Spirit can translate in in groanings, in utterances. Um, and I think that's getting back to the, the real heart of what prayer is. Prayer is communing, communication with God, and it's a back and forth kind of thing. Um, I really believe in prayer, if, if we're true, genuine prayer, is a listening to God, and in, our, in that listening, and it's not necessarily through audible hearing that we're listening. We're listening with our hearts. Um, and we're listening even with our eyes on Scripture. But as we listen to what's on God's heart, we will express that back to him in a prayer. And then God takes that, and then he sends back a response to that prayer. So, and so it's like a this back and forth uh, with God. and It's, it's not just, one way. Right. It's like what, what, what we're doing right now, this, this uh, conversation that we're having. When we, when we relate that to missions, discipleship, and awakenings, uh, prayers is confessional. Yeah. I mean, you know, That's right. uh, we're all unworthy to come to him. 
But it says, those of us that are right, we're to come to the throne boldly. Uh, That doesn't mean haughty, doesn't mean proud, but it means come quickly. Don't be afraid to bring all those things to you. But it says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. So confession is important. Uh, Nehemiah, I, I love the book of Nehemiah. I could spend a lot, I have spent a lot of time in the book of Nehemiah, Nathan, teaching and and also learning. And what is amazing to me is he was getting ready to do a great work. He confessed his sins, but he also confessed the sins of his fathers. Hmm. That always grips me. So sometimes when we're looking for an awakening in maybe our church, in our community, in our country as we are in America, uh, there is time to go back and examine yourselves. When Jesus was teaching them and Paul was teaching about the Lord's Supper, it says, let a man examine himself to see if he's in the faith. And when you do that, when I've done that, I do go back to the time in my life where Christ really came into my life, but also go back and examine the different things I've done. And many times I see a sin in my life that I must confess. So confessional is is important part of of prayer. It is. It is. Um, And and I believe if, you know, the Holy Spirit will will lead us to that. Um, If if all we're doing is repeating uh, prayers, you know, there's a lot of different religions um, that every religion prays. Prayer, just the simple activity of prayer is not enough, okay? Because everybody prays. Um, It's who you're praying to. Have you heard that phrase, there's power in prayer? I believe that, but it's not prayer itself that has the power. It's God. (laughs) Yeah, it's the one who's listening to your prayer. He is is power. You know, uh, Lord, bring your power. When the Holy Spirit comes, there is power. That's right. I mean, to be honest, uh, the Holy Spirit is the power in our life. And so we're seeking him confessionally. We confess our sins. And, and that's what he says here in Matthew 6, forgive our debts as we forgive those our, our debtors. And and then, but before that, your kingdom come, your will be done. I, I want to concentrate on that the rest of the time. God wants his people who are called by his name to humble themselves, pray, seek his face, and turn from their wicked ways so that he can pour out blessings upon us. You know, when you look at that that way, so that God can. God's not up there saying, oh, I don't want to. Yeah. God is desiring to bless us. That's right. But prayer's a vital way to get to the place where he can, isn't it? It is. It's, you know, a lot of times we think, hey, we got to pray hard enough, and it's like twisting God's arm to do something that he doesn't really want to do. No, it's not that. It's we're aligning ourselves with what God is wanting to do and already doing, really. Uh, and we just haven't been a part of it because maybe we haven't sought him um, and we haven't surrendered our, our lives and our wills to him. Nathan, that's so powerful. Your will be done. Where does that start? In my life. Yeah. Uh, it was Gypsy Smith on the sawdust trail. They would have sawdust so that if it rained, the mud wouldn't be there. And he'd tell people to stand and take their feet and make a circle and stand inside that circle and pray, Lord, let revival begin inside the circle. So when we read the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, and it says, your will be done, we need to say, Lord, let your will be done in my life.
May you, may I follow you. Thank you for listening today, and we pray that you would be a man and a woman of prayer, asking God to do things that is beyond even your imagination, because he can, he is God. There's no one like God.